Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher, podcast 14, looking today at arguments and disagreements. Learning from disagreements and arguments, or not, or not, have to add that piece. Can we learn anything from arguments and disagreements? Oh yes, Jesus would say. You can learn a lot if you're open and teachable. So this morning, Jesus catches his disciples arguing with one another. We're in Mark 9. And rather than tell them to stop arguing, he uses the disagreement as a teaching moment. And it's worthwhile noting that Jesus uses common everyday experiences to teach his students uh, things like disagreements or different perspectives or defensiveness, the need to win, this kind of thing. He uses all of these things to teach his disciples a new way. Uh, the need to get our own way, the need to be recognized. You wouldn't think that these kinds of desires um, would be helpful for our spiritual life. But on the contrary, they can be very helpful if we're, if we're open. We can learn from all these things. Now, of course, we can also be in disagreements and walk away from the situation and be none the wiser, right? But Jesus shows us this morning that, that what we argue about is a mirror to our soul. And this mirror, when we argue, when we are in disagreements, when we are in conflicts, it is actually a time that we can have a lot of insight. Insight into, um, oh, for example, why is this argument or this disagreement or this person, why does it bother me so much? Why can't I get beyond this? It shows us what is at stake for us. Or maybe, here's a better way of saying it, what we think is at stake for us. Because I think often what we think is at stake and what actually is, is entirely different. And one of the things that Jesus teaches in this passage is how to minimize the suffering that often results in a clash of wills. You know, when you think about it, all conflict causes us to suffer. Even if it's just conflict within yourself, even if you're arguing with yourself or you don't like yourself. Jesus teaches a way this morning, my morning of course, right? Jesus teaches us a way to minimize the suffering. So here's the story. Jesus and his disciples are walking to this fishing village. And once they get there, Jesus asks them in verse 33, the students, so what were you arguing about on the way here? Well, of course, he knows what they're arguing about, but he gives them an opportunity to say it out loud. And they don't. They don't say anything because they're completely, I'm sure, cringing and embarrassed, right? They say nothing. Now, here's the timeline. Here's your context. Context is, is that Jesus has been with these students for about three years now, so it's getting near the end of his time with his disciples. And he's trying to prepare them for the changes that lie ahead. 
he's discerning that the religious leaders who are against him are closing in on him. He, he can tell that his time is coming to an end. And so he tries to talk to his disciples about the future, and he tells them that, you know, he's going to be betrayed, and he will die, but he will also rise again. Now, any time he, this is the second time he's approached this death and resurrection with them, any time he speaks about suffering, they suddenly stop listening. They never ever do ask about rising again because nobody's ever heard of such a thing. They're completely confused. They misunderstand him. Anytime he starts to speak about suffering, anytime he talks about betrayal, anytime he talks about the cross, which is another way of talking about dying, they immediately get extremely defensive and want to stop everything, stop the conversation. But in this particular conversation, Mark tells us that they did not understand what he was saying, but the disciples were afraid to ask him. They're afraid to ask him for clarification. They didn't understand. Now, here's the question that I came with. Why would they be afraid? They know him. He's their beloved teacher, he's patient, he's kind, he's compassionate, he's the wisest one that they have ever met. He is a healer. They've seen him heal countless times. Why would you not ask? Why would you not say, Jesus, what do you mean? I don't understand what you mean. They did not understand, but they were afraid to ask him for clarification. I was thinking about that, and you know, maybe it's not about Jesus. Maybe the incident gives us insight into the disciples. Maybe they are fearful they will look stupid in front of each other. Maybe they're too competitive with one another. Maybe nobody wants to admit that they don't know in case they lose their place in the pecking order that they've constructed for themselves. Remember, they've just been arguing about who's the best. I wonder if this is it. Nobody wants to admit any weakness or lack of understanding in case the other one gets some sort of advantage. And they certainly don't want to be vulnerable with one another. Well, you can't be vulnerable, really, if you're competitive, can you? Well, they're going to have to learn how to be vulnerable in the years ahead because that's going to be the glue that will keep them together. You know, Brene Brown is a well-known researcher today on the necessity of vulnerability. She's done some marvellous work on and research on vulnerability. But basically what her study shows is that there can be no emotional nor spiritual nor physical intimacy without vulnerability. And vulnerability is all about being honest about how we feel. It's about being honest with our fears. It's about being honest with what we need. And at this point in the disciples' growth, their spiritual growth, their emotional growth, they're nowhere near that place yet because they're still jostling for power and recognition. They're still playing the game of who's the best, who's the important one. 
And so they argue, and they argue quite a bit. They don't address their fears, right? That would take vulnerability. So they don't address their fears. So instead, they argue with one another. Hey, it's just so much easier blaming someone else rather than deal with fear. Yeah? Isn't that the same today? It is so much easier blaming someone else for my problem. Well, it's all her fault. Well, if she didn't or if he didn't, so much easier just blaming someone else rather than dealing what's really at stake. Well, that goes way back to Genesis 2, Adam and Eve. Anyway, Jesus said, as he's coming into Capernaum, what were you arguing about on the way here? Ah, they were silent. How embarrassing. He must have overheard us. We're caught. We're caught. Now, how often would we be embarrassed if our arguments or our disagreements were broadcast to a larger audience? Yeah, it'd be bad. So Jesus asks them to sit down. Anytime he asks people to sit down in the New Testament, it's a teaching moment. He sat down, he called the 12 to them, and he said, listen, whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever welcomes a child welcomes me. And in Matthew's version, he said, if you want to be great, you have to become like a child. Now, that's, these are all kind of strange things to say. They don't necessarily make much sense at the first hearing. You have to, if you want to be great, you have to become a child. Now, why use a child as an example of greatness? If you want to be great in God's eyes. Well, one way of looking at this is, is that children in the ancient world were not highly thought of. I mean, they had status a little higher than the slaves. They had no influence. When a child grew up and became an heir, they had status. But before that time, uh, they didn't hold a prominent place in society. Good families loved their children, but there was no such reality as the household revolving around the needs and the desires of the children. Now, that's a recent thing. That's a recent thing in civilization, right? So children in Jesus' day are not powerful. They're not influential. So if he's using a child as an illustration, if he's using a child as an example, he's picking up a toddler. You want to be great? You have to become like this toddler. Remember, the disciples are wanting to get ahead. They're arguing about who's the greatest, who's important, who does Jesus rely on, who are his right-hand men, who did he trust in, confide in, all a jostling for power and position. Right? We see this all the time. Anytime you work with a number of people, chances are, if you've ever worked in any organization, you've seen a jostling for power and position. It's all ego. It's all pride. Now, our arguments 2,000 years later, they're not exactly the same as the disciples, right? Because we don't talk to Jesus face to face, right? They're not exactly the same. But the energy behind the argument, pride, is alive and well. It's exactly the same. Because pride is the need to be right. 
and do things my way. I mean, how common is that? My idea is the best idea. My way is the best way. Now, I'm kind of exaggerating because this can be done in a very subtle way too. But pride is basically, agree with me, pride demands. See things the way I see things. Uh, view people the way I view them. Don't question me, just do what I say. This is the right way. Listen and follow me. I know what's best. And it can be silly and consequential things like... Um, the proper way to wash a car or the right way to make chili or the only way to vote. <laughs> but pride is, is inflexible and it's critical, full of opinions. It's a running commentary on everything and everyone. Even if, even if it's not said out loud, um, the inner voice is a running commentary of everything and everyone. And the opposite of pride is humility. You know, pride is all about building me up in some way so I'll be feeling okay. So Jesus uses a toddler as an example. He says, this is true greatness. Very interesting choice. Little kid, pretty dependent, a toddler. Yeah, that's right, Jesus is saying. A little kid, pretty dependent. Not too set in their own ways. Not full of their own ideas. Their own ideas are not set in stone. Children, we ones by nature are teachable and open. We're talking about we ones here, toddlers. They're like sponges, aren't they? They're full of whys. And why is that? Curiosity. They're open. They're receptive. They're ready to receive new things, new ideas. Life is full of possibility. They have a teachable, open, innocent heart. You know, what can we once teach us about the spiritual life? Well, they haven't stopped learning. And that's great, Jesus says. That's great. They have an open heart. It's great to be willing to change your mind. It's great to not let the fears and the cares of this world mold you into a rigid, inflexible person that has to be right and has to have all the answers. It's great to be teachable because when we're teachable, God can lead us and guide us in new ways. You know, the great writer C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's like, yeah, it's not all about me. I don't have to make this all about me. Whatever it is I'm dealing with, whoever it is I'm dealing with, whatever struggle I have, I don't have to make this all about me. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I didn't judge you correctly. Maybe my first reaction was just my fear. Maybe this situation is so difficult because... I'm making it all about me. Hmm? Our default seems to be, it's all about me. Our default all seems to be independence from God, right? I want to do it my way. Yeah. Something to reflect upon. Pride 
closes us down. It closes us down. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher, looking at Jesus' teaching on what arguments and disagreements and conflict can teach us. Maybe it's simply not all about me. Childlike faith is open and receptive to new wisdom. There's the prayer. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry today. Help us, God, to be open to a new way of approaching difficult people and challenging situations. Join with me next week for another episode of Celtic Preacher.